Tonight's subject is faith's obedience. So can you all hear me tonight? Because I know some, some of you last week couldn't hear. Is that better? We also got new microphones, a couple of new microphones. So hopefully that improves everything. But the obedience, the obedience of the Lord's important. And we know with our own children, the ones, the children who obey are going to have an easier time in school. They're going to have an easier time at work. They're going to have an easier time in their marriages. And so when they're little, we want to train up our children to obey. And I, I remember when we were, I was teaching in, um, toddlers was my first assignment and I was scared of them they were little and I only had my one daughter and I was shocked that these kids just didn't sit in their seats because I only had one daughter and I expected her to sit and she did so I had eight little children running around the room and I had to figure out how to get them to sit and I had this one little boy in particular threw his shoe at me and he got underneath the table, and this was like every week, so it was around Valentine's Day. And what I did was I bought these beautiful heart cookies. And I said, okay, now everybody sit down, and we're going to have snack. And Jonathan took that shoe, and he whipped it at me, and he got underneath his the table, and we served snack. And then he got out, and he goes, okay, I'm ready for my snack now. And I said, well, that's too bad because we're done with snack and we're moving on. And he fussed a little bit, but he got the message. Next week, when I said it was time to sit, he sat in his seat and he waited for his snack. You know, we gave out little smarties. Smarties make you smart and they're really cheap for obedience tools. When you're two and three, getting a smartie is like really cool. You know, if you get a smarty, if you sit, everybody in their seat is going to get a smarty. And see, what we're trying to do with our children is we're training them to obey. Because obedience brings the blessing. That's what I always tell them. If you obey, you're going to get a blessing. If you disobey, you're not going to get a blessing. And if you think about it in your own life, when you obey, what happens? You got blessed. When you disobey, there were consequences to it. All the time. We see the fruits of permissiveness in our society now. You know, children are raised with a humanistic thing. You know, I saw where this, I think it was in Fort Worth, you know, where the children wanted to kneel for the football team. And, you know, and the superintendent says, well, we're going to, you know, dialogue with this. And, you know, and the, the announcer was saying, don't dialogue with it. Who's the adult in the room? You know, you've got to tell these kids this is not acceptable. It doesn't, it's not, there's not ways to dialogue obedience. Sometimes that's just the way it is. It was like with my little Jonathan that day. Jonathan, that's just the way it is. You were underneath the table with one shoe off, and you know what? That You're not going to get a cookie this week. I'm sorry. But... I always left the door open. Even if we had kids act up throughout the years, we had kids with, you know, ADHD or different things, and their parents would say, no, no, don't send them. And I said, no, send them to Sunday school. And the kids were pretty much behaved in Sunday school because they liked it. 
And um, we'd have some behavior problems now and then. And I'd always tell the parent, and I, or I always tell the child in front of the parent, you know what, you messed up this week, but you come back next week, and we'll try again. And see, that's what God does with us. If we mess up, he goes, you know what, we'll do it again. We'll try it again. Because it's not that the end game is not the behavior, but it's our attitude. And it's not to get back at us or to make us do something because, you know, it's authority and you've got to, you've got to obey or else. It's no, it's because obedience brings the blessing. It's simply God wants you blessed the same way as we want our children blessed. So we're teaching them how to obey and how to listen. It's not always easy. But children who obey will reap the blessings. Children who disobey are going to end up not reaping blessings. They're going to end up getting in trouble with their employer, getting in trouble at school. Sometimes you can work this stuff out in school if you've got a child who's just strong-willed. And if you've got strong-willed kids or grandkids, just take heart in the the fact that a, a real strong-willed child has probably got leadership qualities inside of them, and they just need to be honed, and they just need to be channeled into or formed into that leader. You know, they, they, it's not strong will is not always a bad thing. Stubbornness is terrible, but strong willed is a good thing sometimes. When you've got your peers saying, come on, come on, let's do this, and you're the only one with a brain, and you're saying, I'm not going to do that. You know, I saw a Facebook cartoon this week with, you know, somebody, with, it was a, there was two tiny people, and they had a fork, and they were going to put it in a socket. And they said, no, you know, everybody everybody who's put that fork in the socket has gotten bad results. And, and the guy who was going to put the fork in said, no, they just didn't do it the way I'm going to do it. You know, and it's like, no, you know, you're going to get hurt like that. And a lot of times God says he sees us putting that fork into the socket, and he says you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself because you're not obeying what the what the right things is. So God isn't trying to get us to obey him just because he wants to be Lord and he wants little robots that just do what he says because that's how he gets his fun. No, he wants us to obey because that's where the blessing is. The blessing is always in obedience. And it's easier when we're sitting in church and everything is going fine right now, right? We don't have a problem in here, right? But when you walk out that door, now you've got to make a decision, Decision time, whether you're going to obey or whether you're going to disobey. The proof of being a Christian is not how many times you go to church, but how much you fear God and how much you determine that he is your Lord. He's got to be your Lord. Now, it says in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, and if you go back and read the whole, that's a really good chapter because it kind of chronicles where they were. And he's speaking to the the children of Israel, and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which you serve that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to determine 
that you're going to submit to the Lord. Every day, you're going to have to determine that. Because every day, there's little foxes that want to come in to get you off in different things. You know, when I married Clarence, I made a determination that I was going to submit to him as the head of our household. You know, and it's not sexist. And you could say, oh, you know, submission, that's bad, that's bad. Well, no, there has to be one head in the house. There has to be one head. You can't have two people going in two different directions. You've got to be in unity. Sometimes I have to suck it up. Okay, and just let him go because we've got a disagreement sometimes. I mean, hey, who doesn't in this room doesn't disagree if you've got two people in your house who doesn't have disagreements? We have disagreements occasionally on direction or on something we should should or shouldn't do. I can discuss it with him, but if there's a decision to be made, you know, I had to say this recently, you know, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to defer to your wisdom, and I'm going to go with you. Amen? Come on, ladies. Give me a better amen than that. Don't just sit there. I mean, really, think about it. Because if I don't submit to him, God put him as the head of the house, not me. I'm not the head. So if I don't agree with him, now I can go and pray. There's been times where I have really felt in my heart that I was right. And I've gone and I've prayed to the Lord. And God has changed his mind. Okay? But I would still follow, even if he didn't, even if I thought he was wrong, I would still follow the direction because I have determined in my heart from the time that I said I do that he is the head of the household, he is the leader, and I'm going to be in unity with him, and I'm going to have a good attitude about it. You know, sometimes that's not easy. I'm pretty chirpy around the house. I make up little songs. I can, honestly, I could be annoying. Okay. (laughs) Because, is this true? You know, I'll bug him. When he's in, you know, when he's in, when he's trying to study or, well, you know, I don't have a lot of friends yet here. So I can only, I have to put all of my little quirky things on him because there's nobody else. So last week I was quiet and he's going like, are you okay? Are you okay? It's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to be quiet. Sometimes you just run out of little jingles to sing and you know, little things to do, and, you know, I'll leave him notes, or I'll hide. We have a woodstock, and sometimes I hide that in his sock drawer and put a little note in it or something, and, you know, just just dumb little things. Just to, to me, it relieves pressure and stress, and, you know, it just makes it makes my existence more fun. I don't know. He can, he can, I, he can speak for himself, <laughs> but... but I was quiet last week, and it happens. And he's like, "Are you okay? You know, you're not, you're not yourself. You're not yourself." And sometimes we just have to be quiet, even though we've got sometimes strange personalities or something. And um, I have to respect. 
And it wasn't. It was we had actually had a discussion, and he was concerned that I would, because I, I had to say I defer to you. I don't agree with you, but I defer to you. And um, then I got quiet. And it was like, are you okay? Are you, you're not mad? No, I'm not mad. I'm quiet. And it does happen. Sometimes you get quiet, especially, you know, even soda gets flat after a while. I mean, you can't, you can't be bubbly all the time. Amen. If you've got that kind of a personality, you can't just do that all the time. But I have determined in my heart that he's the head of the house. So if there's questions, you know, he makes the final decision. Now, we'll, we'll have input. It's not like he just lords it over me. Amen? There's some things that he knows that I'm, I'm better off in, so he'll ask my opinion, and then he'll make a decision. So I'm fine with that. I just as soon have him make decisions. You know, frees me up from having to having to hurt my brain trying to think of how to get out of it or what to do or so it's the same way with God. If we defer to God, our life's a lot easier. We're not trying to wrestle with him. And does God mind if we ask him questions? No, he doesn't mind. Does he mind if you just say, well, you know, I'm going to defer to you, God, but I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. No, he doesn't mind that. See, it's about a relationship. And the husband and the wife is is, is a is just a type and a shadow of the relationship that we're supposed to have with Christ. He's the head of the house. God's our head. Jesus is our head. So if we determine ahead of time that we're going to obey God, then that means we're going to obey him. He's going to be our Lord in every single area. So when the pressure comes, then I I know that whatever God says, I have to defer to. For example, if you have to forgive somebody, you know, well, you know, I don't have to. No, you don't have to. But the word says forgive. You know, and you can do it grudgingly, but you're really not going to get the blessing out of it. Sometimes our emotions have to catch up, too. You know, that's always we're always fighting that battle between spirit and flesh, that our emotions have to catch up with a lot of our. I may make a quality decision to forgive. But my face won't show it right away. I got to let my face get some time and my emotions to get some time before I can get get in alignment with what I know I have to do. And you have to know your own pressure points. You have to know um, what where your weaknesses are. Like if you're not a if you're not a good forgiver. You know, and that's okay if you're not a good forgiver, as long as you recognize it and you're working on it. You know, we, we think some of these things is, ooh, you know, you got to forgive. And, yeah, I know i got to forgive, but i got to let myself. I'm going to make that quality decision to forgive because that's what the Word says, and I'm going to let my emotions catch up with my quality decision because my spirit is in control, and then my emotions are going to rank under that. But sometimes the emotions, they, they want to pull. It's like in the household. You know, if I don't get into alignment with him right away, I'm going to pull a little bit because I think I'm right. And, you know, even though it's like, oh, who does he think he is? He's the head of the house. And, you know, but I think he's wrong. And it's going to, you know, it's going to bankrupt our family. It's going to, you know, he's going to get sick. You know, whatever. Whatever the thing is, I'm, there's going to be pull until... You say, all right, self, 
You said you were going to submit, so now just submit and trust God. See, does anybody else have these inner struggles? Yeah, of course, because we're all human. You know, I have to choose to forgive when I want to hold a grudge. I have to choose to love when I want to tell somebody off. I have to choose joy over moodiness. You know, when he was talking about the moody person, I was listening to it Wednesday night. I said, were you up there talking about me again? (laughs) Am I moody sometimes? Don't answer that. It's not always easy, but you have to determine who's the Lord. Are you going to be the Lord by by being the leader in your relationship with God? Or are you going to let God be the Lord? We can't give lip service to obedience. And if we're not fully convinced that he is our Lord, we may go our own direction when the pressure is on. See, it's not now that you have to worry. It's like when you give a a 15-year-old a promise ring. There's no pressure right then. The pressure is when they're on a date. The pressure, well, they have to determine these things ahead of time, though. Agreed? You have to determine ahead of time that Jesus is Lord in every area. Because right now, we've got that promise ring. But the pressure's not on yet. Amen? The pressure to obey right now, we're all sitting here, we're listening. Some of you are smiling, some of you aren't smiling. But the pressure's not on. When we walk out the door, the pressure's on. So we have to determine now, when there's a great atmosphere... Jesus, you are going to be Lord in every area. Because once that pressure's on, we may decide that he's not Lord in that area. You know, my feelings are Lord, and I'm going to let my feelings rule because I have a right to speak my mind. Or we're going to say, you know, I'm going to let something else be Lord. You know, I'm going to let my appetite be Lord. So we have to determine in here that he is the Lord. He's the Lord over everything, every area of our lives. And that way there, when the pressure's on, we say, no, I made a quality decision. Jesus is Lord. And when you get sick, he's Lord. He's still Lord. So that's why obedience is important. It says in James one twenty two in the Amplified, It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. See, I love the way the Amplified says that, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. We can delude ourselves. We can paint a picture in our mind of something that's so reasonable. I mean, atheists do it all the time. They say there's no God. I mean, how unreasonable is that? But they have painted a picture. They have convinced themselves that there's no heaven and there's no hell. So we can we delude ourselves? Yes, we can. Can we delude ourselves as Christians? Yes, we can. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he's like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets, 
but an active doer who obeys. He will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. When we talk about being doers, we're not talking about working, doing, wearing yourself out. You know, doing this ministry, doing that ministry, going on street ministry, um, you know, cleaning the church, being up on a platform, going in children's ministry, going outside and clean. We're not talking about doers like that. We're talking about doers of the word, the obedience to the word. Quite frankly, it's probably a lot easier to clean the church, be in children's ministry, be up here, work outside than it is to actively obey the, God, the, the Lord and what he wants. Sometimes it's easier to do all those things. But if you can imagine seeing yourself in the mirror first thing in the morning, and then at lunch, you look at yourself and, you know, you, you've had a big blowout with a coworker, and you go into the restroom at lunchtime and you look at yourself and you say, I can't even recognize who you even are. You know, look at what you said. And that's how we are sometimes. We're, we're auditing the Bible. You know what auditing means? It means you take the course, but you don't get any credit for it. Sometimes we do that with God. We take the course, but we don't really apply it to anything. And God wants us to change. The comparison that James makes is that the Bible makes those who hear the word of God and promptly go about their business unchanged. We've got to change when we hear the word. We've got to say, Lord, every time I come to church, I want to walk out, some, change somewhere, somehow. I, I want to hear something. Give me a revelation. You know, and it, I think it's harder if you've been in church all your life to actively seek something new to hear. Because, you know, we get to the point where it's like, well, I've already heard that story. I've already heard that. And we have to make it our prayer every time we come in. To gather together, Lord, make your word fresh every day. And I've used this um, illustration many times. It's like if you go and you have a good meal, you want to have that meal again. And that's like the word of God. Even though it's the same word sometimes, it's fresh because it's it's got revelation to it. It's like getting a steak one week and then the next week you get a steak at the same place. Oh, that tastes so good, doesn't it? We were in Kroger, and they had um, this huge piece of salmon. And it was like, it was, it wasn't, I don't know, saying day-old salmon makes it sound not edible. But it was marked down. It was like $12 for two and a half pounds of salmon. And Clarence says, we can get them to take the skin off. And it's like, oh, okay. So we got that, we got asparagus. We could have that for two meals. And it tasted so good. And I didn't mind say I didn't mind the second night saying, Oh, well we've already had salmon and asparagus. It was good the second night too. And that's how sometimes when we get so mature in the word, you know, it's like, Oh, I've already heard that. You know, sometimes your mind can do that. If they say, Well, you know, turn to the story of the prodigal son, oh dear, I've already heard that. You know, and it's like, mind, stop. You know, you need to have it fresh every time. So sometimes we look 
at the word and we looked at it from an external viewpoint and we don't allow it to change us on the inside because we've already put a wall up. We say, well, I've already heard that one before. You know, give me something new, preacher. And God's saying, well, you know, this is new if you just open your ears and listen. So sometimes we we have a know-it-all attitude. The more we become mature in Christ, that we've heard it all, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and, you know, now, you know, now we're just coming in and we're just going to church. Well, that's because we look in the mirror and we see a reflection of what the Word says, but it doesn't change us. We've got to allow the Word to change us every time we come together. When you sit down in the morning, every time you read your Bible, we've got to allow the Word to change you. Because nobody in this room knows it all. I'm sorry. If you think you do, guess what? It's a revelation. You don't. Becoming truly born again changes our entire nature. And we have to allow it to change. After we're born again, we want to please God. Obedience isn't a chore. It should not be a chore to obey the Lord. You know, I've had, and I've probably told this before, somebody that I apparently had offended, accidentally had offended them. I didn't know I offended them. But um, they came to me and they say, well, I forgive you because God said I have to. And it's like, what kind of attitude is that? It's like God says I have to. So I, you know, I wanted to say, but I was such a, I was a baby Christian at this point. And I was just like, "Ah, what did I do? What did I do? That's not the right attitude. If you're going to help baby Christians along, don't ever tell a baby Christian. Actually, don't even tell a mature Christian that. I have to because it makes you look kind of dumb. I mean, (laughs) looking back at it, it's like, wow, you know, what just happened? So... Anyways, now I've lost my place. All right. (laughs) Well, you know, we have to hear God speak through the passage, through our Bibles, a prompting in our spirit. Have you ever gotten a check in your spirit? You're going to go do something, and you get a check, and you just don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. You know, how many disasters, like 9-11, where you hear people where they got a you know, a check and they didn't go to work that day or they got sidetracked or they, you know, God was trying to tell them, don't go there today. There's going to be trouble today. Sometimes you get a check in your spirit and when you disobey it or override it, then that's when we get into a lot of trouble because God said, don't do that. Don't buy that. Don't go there. Don't eat that. You know, we pray, we say, God, just bless this and take the impurities out of it. And it, what if it's, what if it's, wait, what if it's got salmonella in it and our faith isn't there to take that out and God's saying don't eat that and we override it? Well, then you get a, a bad case of poison, food poisoning. See, God speaks to us with that check in our spirit. You know, don't go with that person. You know, and then he goes, do this, do this, do this. So we have to learn obedience. Or we hear it in other people who are spiritual and they talk to us. Sometimes God will use something on television.
to speak to us. He'll use the Bible. He'll use all kinds of things to speak to us. So we have to open up our spiritual ears so that we can hear and then we can choose to obey or not. In the King James Version of the Bible, James 1.25 says, But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Continue. We have to continue in the word. So we can't have that attitude in our heart or in our head that says, oh, I've heard that one before. Oh, there they go again. You know, teaching on the prodigal son, teaching on this one, teaching on that one. If you have that attitude, then you're not continuing in the word. Because nobody knows it all. And it's like that steak. You know, we don't want to just eat one steak and go, well, I've I've eaten steak before. I've eaten salmon before. You know, I've done that before. Yeah, but let's do it again. You know, it's fun to do it again, isn't it? A good meal. I look forward to it. And Sherry and I were on vacation. We went to this Japanese place, and neither her nor I had ever been, but we figured it would be an adventure by the time. And it took so long. It was, like, ridiculous. And we just want. She and I wanted to go home, but the kids were still on their adventure. I think they didn't want to go home, and we did. And um, it was a lot of fun. The adventure was worth it. As we sat at the grill, and they came out, and they brought this stuff, and he, he made, he cut this onion up, and he put a little stuff in it to make the fire come out of it and it was really it wasn't it good it was fun and good and we had enough to bring home and it was the last day so we could bring it home in the car and you know but I want to take clearance and and I'm not going to have that attitude well I ate there before you know and that's how we sometimes do the bible after we've been in for years and years oh I've heard that before I've done that before I've gone to Sunday night service I, I done that before gone Wednesday I, I you know I've gone to church I, I just don't but he says if you continue in the word continue continue keep going we'll only be found faithful if we continue in the word if we continue following God seeking to do what pleases him many people today have made a profession of salvation but they still live like the devil we can't be people that make a profession and don't live up to what God wants us to do. God will judge sin and his responsibility of everyone who calls themselves Christians to rid themselves of it. He says in John 8:31, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And I want to just look at that. Look at that chapter, John 8, for a minute. Because the beginning of the chapter, the scribes and Pharisees brought the woman taken in adultery. It's a very interesting chapter. It says, you know, you know the story. You know, here's another one. Well, I've heard that one before. Do you know the story where they, they sought to have Jesus condemn this woman? And Jesus, he stooped down. He was writing in the sand. And by the time he got up, that they were all gone. And when Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those 
thine accusers, have no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And that's the part I wanted to show you is go and sin no more. He said that at the beginning of the chapter. And then at the end, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If you read the chapter, you can see the threads, how it starts with go and sin no more. And he says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Very interesting how the Bible is put together. And when you start to study the pieces of it, not just one story, but if you look at the whole menu of it, he says at first, go and sin no more. And then he says, if you continue in my word. So for that woman, he was saying, continue in my word. Stop sinning. Learn the word of God. And he said to the disciples, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. So the opposite of that is if you don't continue, you're not going to be his disciples. So you can't make a one-time profession. You can't eat that steak one time and said, for the rest of my life, I'm not going to eat steak because I had it once. Okay, we've got to continue in these things. Only those who continue... In God's word will be counted as his disciples. Jesus did not say this. Let's look at some of the things Jesus did not say. He did not say if you continue going to church. He did not say if you continue to tithe. He said if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples. We sometimes think that going to church is what we need to do all the time is we need to go to church and i'm not against church okay i'm the pastor's wife i totally believe in church i don't believe in being religious about it where god i don't know how to explain it Because the last thing I want is for everybody to run out and say, the preacher's wife said you don't have to go to church anymore. (laughs) So, all right, so we all understand that's not what I'm saying, right? We understand that's not what I'm saying. Because church is not the answer. You can come in here with a hard heart, sit here and get your grocery list in your head, and not hear a word that I'm saying or that the preacher is saying. So church is not the answer. You're not going to get high marks from God just because you came from came to church. You've got to come to church and let God change your heart. Then you're going to get high marks from God. You're going to be that obedient child that comes even though you don't feel like going to church. Have you ever just laid there some morning and it's like, I don't feel like going? Oh, I must be the only one. Everybody else gets up and they want to come. You ever get in the morning when when you were working? I know a lot of you are retired, and you have to get up in the morning, and it's like, oh, I don't want to go to work today. But what do you do? You say, emotions, you are not ruling today, and you get out of bed, and you get yourself ready for work because that's the right thing to do. A lot of times we come into church because it's the right thing to do, and then we have attitude toward it, you know, for whatever reason. A lot of times our attitudes are... We didn't spend as much time in the Word. Or that we're physically tired because we've been running all week and we really need the rest. There's a lot of reasons why we come in not 100% wanting to do this. So, 
I don't know. God is just taking my notes and making mincemeat out of them tonight. You may just have to get the book. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, we it's our attitude coming to church. Is I guess what I'm trying to tell you is it's not... Don't think of yourself so highly just because you come to church every week. I guess that's what I want to say. Because a lot of lost people go to church. I guess that that's that's where I wanted to get to this. Is that, you know, we think we're doing so good because we walk through the doors every week. And that, you know, the preacher ought to be glad to see us. And everybody ought to be glad to see us because we walk through that door every week. And yet you can walk through the door of a church and be as lost as, 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 an, as, as an atheist out there. But we fooled ourselves to think that, you know, well, we're, we're here, God, and you ought to be pleased that I'm here. You know, and that's not the right attitude. See, God is pleased if we continue in his word, not if we continue going to church. I obviously believe that church is important. Okay? I, I am pro-church. I am pro every part. I'm pro tithing. I'm pro serving. I'm pro everything in the church. But if your motive is to come and be seen so that people will think that you're a good person because you're in church and then you go out of here and you yell at the waitress because they were a little bit slow with your food, then you've missed the whole point of Christianity. Amen? Thank you, sister. I appreciate that. But we have to continue in the word, not continue in the work. See, there's so much works in Christianity. And what happens when you're doing works is you're going to tire yourself out. Because you're not going to have time to read your Bible. You know, it's like, oh, there's a meeting tomorrow night for children's ministry. Oh, all right, Wednesday night, there's a meeting for ushers. Tuesday night's ushers. Uh, Wednesday's church. Thursday, oh, Thursday, i got to do this thing that I promised the pastor I would do. Oh, Friday's music practice. Oh, I know that it's Saturday, but I've got to get ready for Sunday now. I've got to. I have to. And you start saying things like that. I have to do this. And you make it sound really bad. Because it's works. You've started, you, you've stopped being a doer of the word and you've started to get into works again. See, God wants us to obey because we love him. And we're not going to put pressure on you. Do you ever wonder why we don't have Sunday children's church? Is anybody? Well, you guys don't have any kids. Probably that's why you're not even wondering that. But let me let, me let you know why we don't have Sunday children's church is because there's Sherry and I right now is in the department. We're the department for children's ministry. And I told her and I promised her that we're not going to be in there Sunday and Wednesday. And we're not going to wear ourselves out doing this. When we get more people, then we're going to add, I want to have Sunday morning children's ministry. But when we get more people, we can do it. Because then we'll have like a real department right now. It's, you know, it's just, just the two of us. But that's why we're not going to do a whole lot of programs. We're going to do programs that make sense because we're not going to have. See, I've already done that. I've already done 
that in my other church where I had like five or six jobs. And now that I'm like the pastor's wife, well, actually, I am the pastor's wife. It's not like I am. I am. Um, We've determined we're not going to let people do that. We're not going to let people wear themselves out. We're going to let them serve in one area, maybe two areas if, you know, if it's not overlapping. But we're not going to let people, we're not going to let five or six people do all the work. Amen. So that's why we don't have, you know, things yet, certain things, because we're going to enjoy putting the core together. I mean, wasn't it fun tonight, worshiping? I mean, I love it. I love to see this whole platform filled. I had a vision, like the second the second vision I ever had was I saw this choir filled back here. I don't want people running around doing works for Faith Assembly Church. I want people to find their place and to love their place and to flourish in their place. Amen. I mean, so you're not doing works so that you can be a doer of the word. I don't want anybody tired out. I mean, I saw people in the other church would get so stressed out because they were doing children's ministry and they were doing this and they were setting up and they were doing that. And I mean, have you ever seen that? You know, it's like a beehive. And you're going to you're going to wear your workers out like that. So we want doers of the work which is obedience, which is doers of the word. That's what God wants. God wants doers who are going to be obedient. We needed a helper once in toddlers. In my church in Massachusetts, God gave somebody a dream and told her to go work with me in toddlers. See, so if you guys start having dreams, (laughs) God told me to do this. So, yeah, so you know what? That's why we're not under pressure with anything. Because we're not going to get ourselves worked up in a frazzle. Like, oh, we don't have, you know, we don't have this yet. No problem. God's going to send them. And God's going to give you guys dreams and visions and things that you can do. But we don't want workers as far as people that are going to burn themselves out doing stuff. We want saints that are going to obey God and enjoy. See, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. You've got to enjoy. I hear Rita up there. I can't just about cry. You've added so much. No, I'm not trying to single you out. But I'm just trying to say that, you know, you've added so much. And, you know, I see Cliff and... Stan helped him out with the microphones yesterday and the different things that people just naturally do. Berthina brings in Capri Suns. You know, you might not think it's a lot, but that's a lot. You know, the the little things that God lays on your heart to do. And see, we get so overwhelmed sometimes because we think we're not doing enough. And we forget that this is what God wants us to do, to be doers. of the, the more we spend in here, then God is going to show us more because then we're listening more and we're hearing more and we're saying, okay, God, now I, I get it. So we're not doing fruitless works anymore. We're doing works that really make a difference. 
you know, when we fail to let go of things, we, and, you know, the thing with sin is this. There's always a consequence for it. Do you ever wonder why some people just seem to get away with everything? You know, it seemed like that. I was the last. We were talking, Ann and me and John were talking this morning briefly about, I'm, I'm the baby. So I'm the baby of the family. I get baby privileges. Even my sisters still give me baby privileges. And, um, oh, where was I going with that? <laughs> okay, consequences. Thank you. Growing up, my sister always had the consequences because, of course, I was the baby. I could do no wrong, right? Well, there was a payday coming for me. One day we were goofing around, and I just about bent one of my fingers all the way back to here. And that was a bad consequence. It hurt. It hurt. Sometimes we think, though, because we get away with something, See, the the Lord isn't slack concerning his promises. Sometimes he's giving you space to repent because of his mercy and his grace. But don't think that you're getting away with something just because there's no consequence right now. You know, it's like somebody who's eaten nothing but junk all their lives. And now, you know, they're in their 60s and their body is starting to break down. Because they ate or they didn't give up smoking or, you know, these different things that we can do just in a natural realm. And we say, well, we didn't get any consequence from it. You know, the next thing you know, you've got emphysema. Well, yeah, you had a consequence. It was just delayed. And we think we can sin. We think, you know, and all right, Christians, you know, we're, we're not fornicating, so, you know, we're not really sinning because that's the bad one, right? Fornication, that's the bad one. All right, well, what about backbiting? Oh, what about lying? What about when somebody calls you up and said, did you hear? Did you hear what the pastor said? Yeah, no, tell me I wasn't there. All right, well, what about gossip? See, we think because we're not fornicating that we're fine. Well, God, there's no immediate consequence sometimes. Although you may say, well, where's my blessing? Lord, I'm not, why aren't I getting blessed? Sometimes we have to check on why we're not getting blessed. Sometimes there's a reason. You know, and we're backbiting and we're talking about people and we're doing things that we shouldn't do. You know, we're cheating a little bit here. We're doing things there, but we're not fornicating, okay? We're not fornicating because we know that that's wrong. And we get so self-righteous about it sometimes. You know, and then people that are fornicating, it's like, you know, well, you know, they're the big sinners. We're just the tiny sinners. You know, what we've done is we've made a mistake. They're sinning. So now we're starting to categorize everything. And see, this is all about obedience. Because we can get so self-righteous because we just haven't been caught in our sin. You know, and God's trying to give us time to repent. He's given you time to repent tonight if you're doing anything. 
It's time to repent. Stop feeling so smug just because you don't fornicate. You know, stop feeling so smug because you come to church all the time. Look at your behavior. You know, well, Sister Pat, really, if we know the reality of the new birth is a changed nature, and we no longer identify ourselves as liars, murderers, thieves, but we now identify ourselves as the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ when we humble ourselves and ask God to be Lord of our lives. Then we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Is this making sense to you? Is it helping anybody to understand that you have to live a life of obedience? But it starts in, starts in here and here. He says, continue. If we sincerely want to be free of sin, we can help get help from God. Just ask him for help. Say, God, I, you know, it's a hard time. Every time that certain person calls, it's a hard time for me not to gossip or backbite or say something wrong. You know, it's a hard thing when, you know, I want to just cheat a little bit on my income tax. It's hard for me to do that, not to cheat, Lord, so I need your help. You know, it's hard when I see that certain person, I want to suck them, Lord, and I need help. I need help. See, but we ask God for help, and he'll give it to us. He'll help you get over that those attitudes. It's only feelings. You know, if you feel like you've got to backbite, if you feel like you've got to steal, if you feel like you have to lie, that's just a feel, right? If you feel like you want to be moody, it's just a feeling. Is that what we're under control? No, the spirit man is our control. So we have to get those feelings to rank under that, under the spirit man. But for those who call themselves Christians yet stubbornly continue in sin, there's nothing but trouble and loss of reward. Okay? And this is this passage, among any other passage in the Bible, scares me. And it's Mark seven twenty one through 23. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye ye that work iniquity. That's got to be the most sorrowful thing, to spend your time thinking that you were okay in this lifetime. But you were as disobedient as that atheist. And you're saying, Lord, I went to church every time the doors were open. Lord, I tithed all the time. Lord, I served in the church. Lord, I preached behind the pulpit. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart, you worker of iniquity. Because you failed to obey my word. That's how serious God takes obedience. You know, now we've got God's grace message. You know, you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. Well, God will forgive you, but that's pretty risky. You know, why would you want to do something that you know is wrong? Why would you do that? 
you know it's wrong, stop gossiping, stop lying, stop cheating. And yes, stop fornicating if you're doing it. Truly, God will allow you in his kingdom. (laughs) Just as you are. And no one who cries out to him in sincerity and repentance will be turned away. But after there's a change in your heart, you have to change your attitudes. You have to decide and choose to make him Lord, that you are going to obey him in every circumstance, no matter what, no matter what your feelings say, he is Lord. Just the same way that I'm going to submit to my husband if he makes a decision that I'm not in agreement with. And it's not not a sinful decision. It's just a, a matter of direction and a matter of interpretation. But if he says it, I'm going to get in line and I'm going to obey him. Amen? Why? Because I want unity in the house. Because that's where the blessing is going to be. And God's going to change my mind and he's going to help me to submit and to get into line without having a bad attitude about it. Amen? Now listen to this. This is Luke 6, 46 and 49. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not practice what I tell you? I mean, this is what I'm trying to tell you tonight. Don't call him Lord if you're not going to do what he says. Amen? Just sitting in church is not, these pews sit here all week long. And they don't ever change. Don't be like the pews. Amen? Don't just sit here and have no change. Come into here and make change. He says, do not practice what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and listens to my word and obeys them. Obedience. Obey, obey, obey. I will show you what he is like. He is like a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man building a house. We've got some builders in here, and they can testify to this, who dig deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that rock and yet could not shake it because it had been securely built and founded on the rock. When you build something, you build it on a good foundation, a sturdy foundation. You don't go and build a house on quicksand. Amen? You don't go and build it in the, on the beach where the waves are going to come. It says, but the one who has merely heard and not practiced what I say is like a foolish man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and it immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Build a good foundation in your Christian walk. Build it on a rock. The book of Jude offers this sober warning in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, Although you are fully informed once and for all that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Amplified adds, who refused to trust and obey and rely on him. So, yes, is he willing to save everybody? Yes. But then he says, you've got to continue in my word. Continue to obey. Continue. Even all of us who are up in age, continue Continue, continue to obey the Lord. God brought all the Israelites out of Egypt, but the one who refused to believe in him were destroyed. The ones who refused to obey are going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't take that chance with sin. 
Don't think just because somebody doesn't see it that nobody sees it. Like Paula said this morning, you know, just she did something and she said, oh, I don't want Sister Louise to see me. And even if you sin and nobody sees you, God sees it. All the time, God sees it. In Strong's Concordance, obedience in the Hebrew is defined as hearing intelligently. In the Greek, it means to hear under as a subordinate, to listen attentively. Only those who hear God and obey his voice will reap the full rewards that God has for them. Obedience is the only way to secure the blessing. There's no other way. Obedience secures the blessing. He says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And then in, in Deuteronomy 30:19, he says, you know, choose, there's life and death, blessing and the curse. And then he gives us the right answer. He says, choose life, that thou and thy seed may live. You know, choose obedience. It says in Matthew 5:17 through 19, do not think that I've come to do away or undo the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you and most solemnly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass from, from, will pass from the law until all things which it foreshadows are accomplished. So whoever breaks one of the least important of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, if we are truly born again, we will have a hunger and a passion to hear the word of God and to obey him. If you don't have that hunger and passion, ask God to give it to you. That's how easy it is. You have not because you ask not. If you're in a place right now where you're dry, ask God to put some hunger and some passion in you. He's willing to do that. He will meet you there. He understands the way we're made. He understands sometimes we get off. That's why you go to church. And so you get back on course. One of the reasons. You know, so you get reminded of who you are. That's it's why you come to church. It's not so that God sees how great you are and what a wonderful person you are. It's so you can get filled, so you can get back on course. So you can have somebody say, No, don't go that way, go this way. Oh, here you go, right there. And so that's how you that's why you go. We need to have that hunger so we don't end up practicing religion. There's a lot of religion. Religion says, you know, you got to serve, you got to do, you got to work, you got to do this, you got to sign up for this ministry. Oh, we need helps over here, we need this, we need that. I'm exhausted just telling you this. You know? But I mean, I'm sure that all of you can relate at some point to things like that where, you know, it's like, okay, you know. We got to sign up. You know, we're going to pass this around and sign up. That is one of the reasons why I love this church. I love these singings. If you can get here, next Sunday night is the singing. You know, it was the first time. I I think I asked Doris, you know, well, do we sign up for refreshments? I mean, what do we do? I was lost without a sign up because that's the way I was trained. Sign up. Got to sign up. Got to sign up. You know, she goes, no, we just bring things. You know, and last time we all brought desserts, we almost have had like sweet tooth or something. Because I think Claudine and a couple of people asked me, are we just doing desserts now? And it's like, well, no, it's just the way it happened. So I don't know what we're going to do 
you know. But it's always something different every time. And people just bring what they have in their their pantry and make what they have. And it's a great time of fellowship. Why? And, and I'm not pressured under it. That's what I love is that there's not the pressure, you know, we got to make sure, you know, we've got three main dishes and sandwiches and this and that. And I know there's a place for that. I'm not mocking that. Okay, but I'm saying if that's all it is, sometimes you come through the door and it's like we got to do this. And, oh, now, we, you know, now we need ushers. Oh, yeah. No, we need nursery workers. You know, if we don't do this stuff. Oh, yeah. And we got the building commitment. You know, and it gets to the point where it's all works. Can't we just come in and enjoy the presence of the Lord without all that and trust that God's going to take care of these things? Amen. So, like, we know that we always get banana ice cream. And we also know, usually Doris makes some neat peach thing, that peach cobbler you make. So we know we we can be certain of certain things. I stopped bringing the spinach balls, by the way, just because it got to be too hard to um, heat them up right before service and then get them over. So I'm trying different things, so I don't know what I'm bringing But, I mean, for me, it's so freeing just not to have a sign-up sheet everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's a sign-up for this and that. I mean, I don't know. And we may have to get sign-up sheets when we get a little bigger and more organized. But for now, just let's enjoy where we're at without the sign-up sheets. Because I I don't – it's just so – you can get so structured that you can just structure God right out of everything. Amen? You know, I'm sure that – my philosophy wouldn't work with a thousand-member church. <laughs> so I may have to change my mind later and come back and apologize to all of you. But those who only go to church and don't live their lives in obedience are called hearers only. Okay? We can't just hear the word. We have to do the word. We have to obey it. Okay? God didn't intend for us to work our way into heaven, but works are an evidence of changed life. Amen? What are some of the works? Well, some of the works are I used to swear and now I don't. Now I've got good language. That's a work, right? I mean, come on, those of you who used to cuss and then you got born again, that's a good work. Am I the only one? Obedience is not one of the best subjects to have to minister on. I mean, if you could be up here, if I could take a picture and some of your faces, you know, I really, I'm sorry. It's a good thing there was a lot of joy in the room before. That's all I can say. But obedience, a life of good fruits. The Holy Spirit is a powerful testimony to unbelievers, but it's not the works that's going to get you into heaven. We decide ahead of time that Jesus is Lord in every year of our lives. Amen. Faith in God alone does not prove that a person is a Christian. The Bible states that the devil believes in God, too, but they tremble. That's in James. So someone who says they have faith in God may not be a true Christian because they haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Faith in God requires obedience. Obedience to God means to recognize that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. 
And it says in James 2, 18 and 19, But someone may say, You claim to have faith, and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without the works, if you can, and I will show you my faith by my works, that is, by what I do. You believe that God is one? You do well to believe that. The demons also believe that, and shudder and bristle in awe-filled terror. They have seen his wrath. So should we have work? Should we have good works? Yes, we should definitely have good works. But we work because we love God, not we work because we want God to love us. We come to church because it's for us. It's not so that God can see or that people can see that we're so spiritual. You know, we're on the worship team because that's what we love to do. We love to sing and we love to worship God, not so that God can see us and give us a gold star. We're we're in with the children because we love the children and we want to see them grow up and love God, not because we want everybody in the congregation to see us. Do you see the difference? There's a difference in motive and attitude. Consider the examples of Abraham and Rahab, and that's in James 2, 21 through 25. And I'll just read my notes. Abraham obeyed God and offered Isaac on the altar. Now the works would be for this. Abraham, remember, he took his knife up to slew his son. And God said, wait, Abraham, wait. Well, if Abraham was motivated by works, he might have slow, he might have killed his son. Because he might have said, well, God, you told me to do this, so I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to prove to you that I can hear you. And see, sometimes we get the first part of the story. He said, you know, put him on the altar, got him ready. All right. Now it's critical that he hears the voice of God and obeys. Amen. So we need we need to hear the whole way through, not just half of it, because he could have killed Isaac if he wasn't listening and obeying. But that's how critical your obedience is, too. You can mess up because you only hear half the command. And then it's like, okay, God, I got it. I got this one. You know, put him on the altar. Okay. You know, I got it. Don't you worry. And see, we got to hear the whole thing. We've got to hear all the time. Rahab was justified by her works when she hid the Hebrew spies. She claimed to believe in God, but her faith compelled her to do something to help God's people. In return, her entire family was saved, and she was rewarded by becoming part of the lineage of Jesus. The word works is suggest intense activity and some Christians work themselves into a joyless existence trying to prove that they're Christians by doing things. See, now we have to watch ourselves, watch your motive all the time. Are we obeying God or are we just doing it because we want people to know how spiritual we are? That's a bad motive. Jesus' two friends, Mary and Martha, had two different outlooks on life. Martha was consumed with getting things just right for their meal. Mary, however, took time to sit and listen to what the Lord was saying. And our works need to be in obedience to what the Lord says. There's a time to sit and there's a time to act. And we have to remember and we have to ask God, if is it a, is it a sit time or is it a work time? You know, what should I be doing right now? Many Christians work themselves, work, wear themselves out doing things that, are, that God isn't telling them to do. And conversely, many Christians sit when they should be working and helping. So it's all a balancing act. You know, Clarence and I joke around. And um, 
we'll do some I'll do something and the thing is it's good enough. You know, it's just good enough. Because we had I had been almost beaten to death with, you know, it's not excellence of ministry. And it got to the point where I was spending a lot of time doing really fruitless things that really there's some things that are just good enough. You, you know, it's where you finished it and you just have to walk away because if you spend some more time on it, it's not going to make it that much better. It'll just make you feel like you've done excellence rather than. And we heard a, a minister that we were where we were going to the church. Somebody had done something for the church, and I know that he wanted it done a little better. And he goes, "Well." He goes, it's not quite what I wanted, but it was good. It's good enough. So we'll say to each other, well, that's good enough. You know, that's good enough. Sometimes good enough is good enough, and we don't have to work ourselves. Sometimes we get so. If you're a perfectionist, you understand this. Sometimes we get so taken by a detail because somebody, if we leave that detail the way it is, somebody might think that we're sloppy. You know, God forbid that we're sloppy, you know. And the truth of the matter is, is a lot of people don't even notice it because it's so tiny. I refinished a whole mantle, and the only thing I could see out of it, I couldn't even enjoy the work that I had done. I, I It was a white mantle, and it was old. We I lived in an old house in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and the the paint was cracking on it. So I took all the white paint somebody painted a nice wood mantle they painted it white and it was just it was really getting to me so I took the gel and I scraped it and stuff and then I refinished it I did all the steps to it and the only part I could see on this beautiful mantle that I refinished was the part where I couldn't get the paint off but see we do these things but you know what it was good enough but I lost the enjoyment of it because it wasn't perfect Sometimes you have to just let things go and say, it's good enough. You know, I've obeyed you, Lord. I've done what you wanted to, and now it's good enough. He obey, he, God's definition of works is obeying his word. He values our obedience above our sacrifice to perform. See, a lot of the time it's just performance. It's because we want people to think that, you know, we're so wonderful. You know, it's, it's all about us. Sometimes it's less painful to do a Christian work than it is to obey God. God doesn't take pleasure in big offerings or working 12 ministries or doing anything to prove to God or to be well regarded by people. He calls our ill-advised self-serving sacrifices what it is. He calls it rebellion. Okay? When we're doing something just to make people think that we're something... Or if we're doing something to make God think that we're something, then God calls it rebellion. It's not a good work. God may want us to work to get rid of the pride in our hearts and humble ourselves rather than having us do something that is sure to earn praise from others. See, this gets you down where you live, huh? It's like, oh, sometimes it's better to do something than it is to obey God. It's easier sometimes to do something to make us feel good. You know, something to do than, you know, God wants me to humble myself. Ouch. I don't want to do that. I guess I'll go work in children's church. 
because I don't want to humble myself. He calls disobedience idolatry because it elevates our will higher than his will. Remember, even the heathens sacrifice. So you're sacrificed to do good works. Heathens do that. They sacrifice their babies on an altar in the Old Testament. So your sacrifice doesn't mean as much as obedience. God desires obedience over everything. Amen? Now I'm going to leave you with this. Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey the Lord and you'll have a happy life. Obey the Lord and you'll be blessed. Amen? And to heed or to hear is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as serious as the sin of divination. And disobedience is is as serious as false religion and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you as king. And that's 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. Faith's obedience refuses to be bluffed or pressured by the senses and, and in the mind. Faith puts trust in God higher than anything else. We have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Trust God. Even if you don't get it right, just repent and move on. Even faults beating yourself up because you, you, you ever meet people, and maybe you're like this, that can't let go of a mistake. They've made a mistake, and it's like, well, you know, I'm just so unworthy. I just can't, you know, I just can't let go of my past. I just can't let go of this thing. Well, that's an idol to them then because he's made provision. First John 1, 9 says, if you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of his sins. But we've sometimes, because we don't want to move forward, we hold on to the past. We know of several people don't want to let past. They've had, you know, I had a very bad childhood. I'm now 61 years old. My childhood is way, way in the past. Some people don't want to let go of abuse that they've had in the past or this, because that defines who they are. Then they can... You know, it gives them an excuse for bad behavior. That's just an idol. We just make idols out of that. God says let go. But sometimes we refuse to obey that because we're afraid that if we let go of that pain, we let go of that those things, then we don't know who we are because that's how we've defined ourselves as, as that person. You know, I was abused as a child. So we don't want to let that go. But in order to obey and to move forward, we have to let it go. But sometimes we cling so tightly or we've made a mistake. Oh, I can't forgive myself. You know, why can't you forgive yourself? Well, because if you let go of it, sometimes what we have in our hand, we know that pain. We know that part. And we're afraid if we let go, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. So we hold on to things. Or we hold on to habits because we're afraid if we let go, we're just not sure what's going to happen. It's the fear of the unknown is why we don't sometimes let go of these things that that drag us down, that hang on us. You know, well, what's going to happen if I let go? What's going to happen if I stop telling people that I've had a bad childhood? You know, are they going to not feel sorry for me anymore? And if they don't feel sorry for me anymore, are they going to even notice that I'm alive? You know, well, what's going to happen if I let go of this or that? You know, so sometimes it's the fear of the unknown, why we don't let go of things. 
So the word is like a mirror, and, and faith does not forget God and his word during intense trials. Okay, so faith's obedience honestly accepts the opinion of the word about him, his life, and circumstances above all evidence. So we accept it by faith. Faith's obedience knows it will never profit from being a hearer only, but it must get obedient actions with the word and the promises. Faith's obedience will prove itself by its obedient works. Being a doer of the word will translate into daily reality. Amen? Faith's obedience loves people. Faith's obedience does the will of God. Faith's obedience recognizes that the only way to grow is by heeding the word of God. Faith's obedience know that they're blessed by continual abiding in the word and doing its works. Faith's obedience will always allow the hearer to act upon what they've heard. You may not understand why God's word says something, but if you obey by faith, you know that he is faithful and that you just take that step out in faith and God's going to meet you every step of the way. And then one day you're going to say, yeah, you're going to turn around and say, yeah, I see it now. I see it now, Lord. Thank you that I obeyed. Thank you that I tithed faithfully all these years because I see it now. I'm in a financial pinch and you came forward. You came, um, you came through for me. Or thank you, Lord. You know, I was obedient all those years in my marriage, and, and now I see the fruit of it. And I was obedient to train my children, and now I see the fruit in their lives. And I was obedient here. And sometimes you won't see it right then, but you can look back and say, yeah, I see it now. Amen? So let's just let's bow our heads now. I want to pray for you. Because I might have I might have made an ouchie in your life tonight, unintentionally. But you know you might be saying, yeah, you know I don't know who who, this, who she thinks she is, but I might have made an ouchie. So we want to pray because we want you to obey and to be blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are thanking you tonight as we declare that your word is supreme in our lives. Father, we thank you that if we've recognized areas where your word has not been Lord in our lives. Father, first of all, I ask that you forgive us. You forgive us, Father, where we have not trusted you. You said trust and obey. There's no other way. But Lord, where we haven't trusted you, where we've even made an idol out of other people and we've wanted to do performance for other people and be perfect and be excellent and have people say good things about us. Father God, we ask that you forgive us. Father, we just lift up before you anything in the past that we've held on to, Lord, and have made that our banner and have made that the reason why we are the way we are, to get sympathy, to get people to like us, to get people to to notice us. Father God, tonight there's an anointing to just let that go. Let those things go. Let those things go that you just hold on and, you know, it's almost like a pet. It's almost just like having a a cat or a dog that you have this this habit that you you just have to have it. You just have to do it. And Father, we are thanking you for that anointing. Holy Spirit, you're so sweet. You're so kind. You're so gentle. 
Father, for, for all those who've, who've had performance issues, that, Lord, that, 